Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silver Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd like to also welcome all of you at our Creekside service, our North Ottawa campus, St. Elmo campus, and all of you that may be worshiping online. It's so good to see you. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So do this. Take your Bibles and open up in the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 8. Turn to Psalm chapter 8. You got a smartphone, you can open that app to Psalm 8 as well. And um, while you're doing that, you can also take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these Bible study outlines so you can follow along and take notes. It's always important as you're studying God's Word and God speaks to you that you write down the things that He speaks to your heart about. As most of you know, we're in this series in the book of Psalms called Mixtape, a song for every season. That the book of Psalms is literally songs, right? And it's the songs that God wants you to be able to sing in whatever season of life you're going through. And we've looked at a number of seasons of life that we've gone through and walked through. And we learn to sing songs to God, even in that difficult season. But today what we're going to do in Psalm 8, we're going to see a song of glory. That in this psalm, we're going to see some of the glory of God. And the Bible says that as Christians, we are transformed into the likeness of God from glory to glory. And what does that mean? That means that God wants to transform you and make you more like Jesus today as you get a little glimpse of his glory from Psalm 8. And hopefully by the end, you're going to be able to sing this song of glory to God. So let's read it together. It's Psalm 8, beginning verse 1. Notice what God's word says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Verse three, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, that's angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word to you. You are what it says you are, and you can do what it says you can do. Amen? Now, as we get started, I I, um, 
thought about these interviews. Have you ever seen this before? These on the street sort of interviews that sometimes late night talk show hosts do. And they just grab random people, you know, on the sidewalk and, and ask them questions. And typically the questions are about current events or history or presidents or things like that. And it's really humorous to hear how some people answer these obvious questions. It's also a little disturbing. You think, okay, is this our educational system? We're in, we're in trouble, right? Well, let me just give you a few of the questions that folks that um, answered. Um, there's one guy was asked a simple question. Um, what language do they speak in Britain? What language do they speak in Britain? And he thought, hmm, the British language, the British language. And he goes, you mean English? <laughs> they speak English in Britain, right? Uh, another person was asked the question, okay, um, who was the first man to walk on the moon? And the lady said, um, Armstrong. He goes, that's exactly right. Do you know his first name? Uh, Louis, Louis Armstrong. Well, <laughs> he's a great, um, you know, jazz player, but I do not think he's ever walked on the planet, uh, on the moon before. There's one lady was asked, uh, can you name any Supreme Court justices? And she goes, Judge Judy. No, it's, it's not Judge Judy, okay. <laughs> one person was asked, what's the beginning phrase of the Bible? This is a little scary. The guy responded, in a galaxy far, far away. No, that's Star Wars, okay? Um, but one of my funniest ones to me, or actually disturbing one, is Jay Leno in his little scene called Jaywalking. He asked this lady a question about Mount Rushmore. He said, how did Mount Rushmore come into being? And she goes, uh, you can see the gerbils just working in her mind, you know? She goes, uh, erosion. He goes, erosion? Are you telling me that through time and chance and wind and water, four fame, you know, pictures of four presidents just, you know, formed there on a mountainside? And she goes, well, maybe it was lucky, you know? And she goes, ah, right? And when you hear that, you go, that's crazy, right? That somebody could look at Mount Rushmore and go, hey, there had to be a designer there. There, there had to be, you know, someone who made it, Right? Well, can I tell you, it's even more crazy when we look at creation and everything that's around us. If you see creation, you know there must be a creator. In fact, in Psalm 19, it says this. It says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. I've often wondered, okay, God, why did you make the universe so vast and so big? And it's almost like God spoke to my heart and said, because I'm so glorious. It takes all of that to display how glorious I am. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people, that's us, are without excuse. Well, that's Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is David. Most likely, he was a shepherd boy. And he um, was watching his dad's sheep, and at night, they're all slumbering, and he looks up at the night sky and sees the vastness of the stars and the creation of God, and he gets overwhelmed with awe of who God is, because he knows God created that. God's even greater than that. And so he, he pins Psalm 8. Now, we don't have the, you know, the music, but we have the lyrics. And from this psalm, we learn four things that if we will capture them, it'll bring glory to God and then glory to our hearts as well. And so I want you to jot it down your outline. Number one, first of all, I want you to see that God created the universe effortlessly. That whenever God created the universe with just a word, it was effortless to God. 
Notice what it says in verse one. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now look at verse three. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now, whenever David wrote that, there was no NASA, there was no Hubble telescope. We know a lot more about the universe than he did, but he was overwhelmed by the realities of the heavenlies. He says, consider the heavens. And so let's do that just for a second. I mean, the universe is so vast, we measure it with light years. You go, what is that? Well, the speed of light is the fastest thing in the universe. I mean, no one other than God can travel faster than the speed of light. Speed of light is 186,000 miles per per second, okay? And and so that means what? That means that light can travel around planet Earth seven and a half times every second. That's fast. That's blazing, right? In fact, let's see if we can see it. Ready? Eyes open. Did you see it? Okay, no, it's just that fast, okay? It's crazy fast, all right? And so the amazing thing is, is that, okay, let's consider light speed for the universe. All right, you go, um, our sun, take our sun for example, it is um, 93 million miles from earth, and I'm very glad it's that far away, because if it was any closer, we would melt, we would burn up, right? But think about this, at the speed of light, you know, how long does it take for light to leave the sun to come to earth? It takes eight minutes. That means if you step outside right now, don't do it, but if you do, guess what? The light be fit, hitting your face came from the sun before I even started preaching today. Tonight, look out into the night sky and go look up at the Big Dipper. You've probably done that before. How long does it take the light from the Big Dipper to come to your eyes tonight? It's going to take, it takes 58 years. That's how old I am. When I was born, light was shining from the Big Dipper. That's the speed of light. That's a vast universe, right? Well, let's just think about the Milky Way galaxy. They estimate that our galaxy that we live in, the Milky Way galaxy, if you went from one side to the other, it would be 100,000 light years. That's vast. You want to see how big? Let me put it in perspective for you. Our Milky Way galaxy. Let's just imagine the Milky Way galaxy is North America. You got Canada, United States, and Mexico. That's the Milky Way galaxy. What about us? The solar system, our sun, all our planets, all the way to dwarf planet of Pluto, right? If, if our Milky Way galaxy were as North America, how big would that be? You could fit our solar system in this coffee cup. Do, do you understand how big? And that's, that's just our galaxy, okay? Check out this picture right here. Whenever Hubble came into existence, they decided, okay, we're going we're to take a picture of just blackness of space from, from Earth. We can't see anything there, so let's just see what's out there. And so they took this picture, and you see those points of light there? Those are not stars. Those are other galaxies like our galaxy. They estimate there's 100 billion galaxies that are out there, and that it would take 13.8 billion light years to get to the edge of our known universe. This universe that we live in is vast. It is amazing, Right? And so what David is saying, if we could comprehend how amazing this universe is, that's how amazing our God is. Uh, The universe is great. Our God, the creator, is greater. This represents the greatness of Almighty God. And yet, God did it effortlessly. Notice how David said he created it. Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. What? This is just finger play to God, folks. 
God spoke the universe into existence by his very powerful word. I mean, David is saying, hey, this is just child's play for God creating the universe, right? I mean, think about it like this. Whenever you were in preschool or elementary school, did you ever do any finger painting? I mean, we used to do that, right? We had finger painting. Now, the parents, they didn't, you know, want to risk anything by giving us real paintbrushes or real paint. And so, you know, you had an easel and you just sort of put on this mock and, you know, and you get to dip your hands in the paint and make these creations and then they just put them up to dry. And what do you do? You take them home and I'd put them on the refrigerator. Well, David is saying that the universe is God's finger painting, folks. It's his masterpiece. And he doesn't put it on a refrigerator. He puts it in the night sky so you can see his glory. David says, you need to understand how amazing your God is. Folks, our problem is that we forget this. If we really understood how great our God is, it would change our prayer life. It changed the way we respond to the word of God. It would change our heart. It would change obedience, right? It changed our life. You see, having the right perspective changes the right, produces right um, behavior, you see, our problem is, is that we lose this, don't we? Our, our problems, our concerns, our worries seem so big to us. And I'm just overwhelmed by what's going on in my life. And, and, and David is saying, you need to take whatever's so big to you right now and put it in light of your big God. He's bigger than that. You see, our, our problem is, is that, you know, we lose our faith, not necessarily because of bad things happening to us, but it's just a slow leak of the grandeur and greatness of God. It's like a little air coming out of a balloon. Eventually, it just becomes empty. That's the way a lot of people are. They lose the wonder and grandeur of God, and so they lose their faith. David is saying, you need to get back to how glorious our God is. He is great. He is mighty. First thing is, you need to see creation. Second thing that he brings out in this passage is this. Jot this down. That God has crowned you with dignity. I got good news for you. God has crowned you with glory and honor and dignity. Notice what he does after God creates the universe, right? He then creates earth and everything that's on the earth. And then what does he do? He creates humans, which are the pinnacle of creation. Check it out. Look at what David says in verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Ever felt like that? Okay, this God who, you know, oversees the vast universe. I mean, why does he even think about me, right? I mean, why? I'm one of billions of people on this planet. Does God really think about me? In fact, let me show you another image. This is a rare image. It was taken in 2013 by the Cassini spacecraft. It was 900 million miles from Earth taking pictures of the rings of Saturn. And you see that little arrow there? There's a little blue dot that's right there. That little blue dot is Earth. Yeah, that is um, 90 million miles from Earth. That's what we look like, that little blue dot. One person put it like this. That's home. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've heard, every human being that's ever lived, every hero, every coward, every king, every peasant, every superstar, saint, or sinner in history of our species has lived on that little blue dot. When you think about it, you go, well, I can't even see. I can't see anything going on there. Yeah. I mean, it's, when I think of that, I think of, remember that show Horton, Here's a Who, right? And, you know, you go, I mean, I can't even see it, but I know it's there, right? God sees us. Why, God? Why would you even think about us? Why would you even care for people like us? We're just, we're nothing, right? I'll tell you why God cares for you. Because you're made in his image. Look at how David puts this in verse 5. Yet, 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. If you could somehow take a continuum of all of God's creation, and maybe you got, you know, bacteria over here, and you got angels at the height of his creation, right? You take one step down, and that is what? That's humans. And even though we're created less than the angels, the Bible says he's crowned us with greater glory than the angels. Why? Because God has made us in his image. In fact, that's what David has in mind. He quotes it in just a second. Look at it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us, I believe that's a trinity, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. The Bible says you and I, all humans, were made in the image of Almighty God. I've got new, good news for you. You're made in the image of Almighty God. In fact, turn to the person next to you and remind them, say, you're made in the image of God. Do that right now. You're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, right? That's good news. Now, it, it doesn't matter if you think you're important or not. The Bible says because you're made in the image of God, you are significant, right? Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. God doesn't care about your waistline, doesn't care about what you think you are in the mirror, you know, what your ethnicity is, what your gender is. God says, you're made in the image of God, therefore you have incredible value. Now, now we can't puff ourselves up and go, ooh, look at me, right? No, 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 it's not because of you that you're significant, it's because of him that you're significant. It's his image in you, right? We're the pinnacle of God's creation and God puts us on this planet. And so what does that mean? This is important. Every person you see is crowned with glory and honor. That's what the Bible says. They are made in the image of God. Every person you see deserves respect and honor because they're made in the image of God. That, that means what? That means that refugee family that just moved into Chattanooga. That means the homosexual that's bagging your groceries. That means the, um, the single parent mom with four kids from four different dads. Now, I'm not saying there's not brokenness and sin. There obviously is. We're going to talk about that in a second. But do you understand? Every person that you see is created in the image of God, and therefore they deserve your respect, right? That's what the Bible says. Let me just give you one application. Um, gossip, Right? You gossip about people, talk about people behind their back. Maybe it's at school cafeteria or in the office or, or maybe, you know, the, the, the you know, dinner table at home. Why is gossip bad? Well, notice how the apostle James puts this. In James chapter 3, verse 8, he says, No human being can tame the tongue. Oh, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the what? The likeness of God. Gossip is wrong, not because it's rude. No, you're defaming the image of God. Slander is wrong, not because, you know what, it, it, it breaks relationships. No, you are slandering the image of God. It's an offense to Almighty God. Do you understand the ramifications in our lives if we really understood we're all creating the image of God, therefore we got to treat people the right way? That's why Christians are pro-life, that's not a political issue, folks. That's a God issue. It's a glory issue. Well, why do we hate racism? That's not a social issue. That's a God issue. You see, when you understand that we're all made in the image of God, it changes the way we should treat one another and talk about one another. Now, 
If you're here and you don't believe that, right? Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not really sure if this whole Christianity thing is for real. Maybe you're agnostic, you're not really sure. Well, I just want you to be intellectually consistent, okay? I mean, if you buy into the philosophy of our world that you and I, we're not created by God. We, we just evolved over time and chance. And, you know, we, we, we all came from pond scum and just evolved over time and chance. And, and we take God out of the equation, th- then what's left? You're not all that significant, right? You're not. And neither am I. You remove God in his image from humanity, we're just pond scum that's evolved a little bit, right? Uh, um, Check out what this one um, evolutionary biologist, Ruth Macklin, put it. She said this. The problem is that dignity, talking about human dignity, is a squishy, subjective notion. Hardly up to the heavyweight moral demands assigned to it. At least she's being intellectually honest. You, You see, if there is no God, and he did not create you in his image, then you know what? then where that actually leads, you remove God from the equation, then we're going to be Nazis, right? Right? Why? It's just a survival of the fittest. We have no dignity here. But if God really did create us and crowned us with glory and we're made in his image, then guess what? Every person you see has incredible value, right? And so this is glorious, God says, I want you to look at creation. You see my glory. I want you to look at yourself. You're made in my image. I've crowned you with honor and glory. But it gets better. Third thing that brings glory to God is this. Jot this down. God commissions you with responsibility. God commissions you with responsibility. Now, again, check this out. God created you, right? You're made in God's image. And because you're made in God's image, God now has a job for you. God has a purpose for you and your life. So David, he continues to quote Genesis 1. Check it out. Look at it. Verse 6. God, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now, this is an incredible thought. God's created us. We're made in his image, and then he's tasked us with the responsibility. God says, I want you to oversee my creation. Now, the creation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God, right? We're sort of, a, you know, we're guardians of the universe, right? We're supposed to manage this thing well for the glory of Almighty God. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve, puts them in the Garden of Eden, and says, hey, I want you to tend it and take care of it. And then I want you to do what? I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to take what we've got here in the Garden of Eden, and I want you to bring that across the entire planet Earth. Did they do it? No, they, they didn't. They blew it, and so do we, right? But let me just give you some applications of this. If this is true, and you're created in the image of God, and God has commissioned you to take care of life for his glory, manage it for his glory, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Do you have a job? Has God given you a job, right? If you've got a job, how do you work at that? Do you have a good work ethic? Are you lazy? Can I just tell you something? If you're lazy at work, that's a God problem, You go, but I I don't like the job and I hate my boss. Has nothing to do with that. God has you there right now in this season. You are to work as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says, right? Let me give you another example. Maybe you're in college or in high school. You're in school. Maybe you're getting a master's degree. Let me ask you, okay? How do you treat homework? You go, whoa, pastor, you're just meddling now, right? 
I don't like the subject. I don't like the professor. I don't like any of that stuff. No, no. God has right now in your life, that's what's before you. Are you taking it seriously? What about your finances? Okay. Are you, are you managing them for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of yourself? If your finances are in disarray, that's a glory God issue. That's what that is. Um, I remember many times having this conversation with my kids when they were younger. I'd say something like this. I, I said, in all the vastness of our house, I've given you one room. And I've entrusted this one room into your care. And how you care for this room is a reflection of who you are, right? Right? That's what God is saying to us. God says, hey, I've entrusted this in front of you. Whatever it may be, maybe, you know, you're a janitor, maybe you're a CEO or a pastor or a stay-at-home mom, a parent, a grandparent, whatever it may be, whatever God has put before you, you are to manage it for his glory and other people's good, right? That's what the Bible says. We're to steward it. He's commissioned us for this task. Now, let's be honest here. We've blown it, Right? I don't know about you, but I, I look back on my life and reflect, have I really lived life for God's glory or my glory? Have I blown things? Absolutely. I, I've made a mess of some finances at times and relationships at times and family members at times. And, you know, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. Can anybody testify? Yeah, you've made some mistakes too. Absolutely. Okay, I, I'm made in the image of God, but I've messed it up. I mean, so did Adam and Eve. We're, we're just like our grandparents, Right? Adam and Eve, they're made in the image of God. God's put them in the garden and says, I want you to take care of it. Then I want you to bring Eden to the rest of the planet. And they said, no, we're going to do our own thing, God, and forget you. And they go their own way, right? And that's what we've done as humans. Now, we've done some good things as humans, right? I mean, you know, we you know, cured some diseases and built some hospitals and orphanages. But by and large, man, we've made a mess. There's a lot of sin. There's war. There's disease. There's disaster. There's death, crimes on a high, you know, families are falling apart at record rate. Everybody's hating on each other, the hate, 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 right? What's going on? Tell you what's going on. We've made a mess of this thing that God's given us, right? So follow the logic of Psalm 8. God's creator, God's crowned you with glory, God's commissioned you to live your life for his glory and for the kingdom of God. You go, but uh, we've blown it. Yeah, well, that's where the good news of the gospel comes. The point four is this, jot this down. If you wanna experience God's glory, you need to understand this. God cares for you in Christ. God cares for you in Christ. Look again at what the promises say in verse four. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You go, God, we've messed up your creation. I've messed up my life. I've, I've done all these things, right? I mean, I'm crowned with your glory. I, I'm glad I'm made in your image, but I have not really done what you've called me to do. How, how could you care for somebody like me? Well, God's answer is, I'm gonna care for you in my son, Jesus Christ. Now, what's so cool about Psalm 8 is that the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament quotes Psalm 8 exactly. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he answers the problem of Psalm 8. We've made a mess of this world. What is God's solution? Well, check it out. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. This is awesome if you just capture it. The writer of Hebrews says, it's been testified somewhere. Now, I love that about the writer of Hebrews. He goes, I know it's somewhere in the Bible. And then he quotes it. What is it? It's Psalm 8. 
what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? That's a direct quote. And he continues, verse seven. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, God, you've made this creation. We've made in the image of God. You've put all this under our feet for us to manage it for your glory. But there's a problem. Here he answers it, verse eight. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, here's the problem. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. God, you've put all this under our control for us to manage for your good and glory, but we've made a mess of it right now. It doesn't look like everything's under your feet. So what's the answer? Verse nine, here it is. I love this. But we see him. That's Jesus, folks. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's the birth of Jesus. That's Christmas. Namely, Jesus, he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, that's the cross, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He, he, he basically says, hey, we've got this problem. God, you've put all this subjection under our feet. We've made a mess of it. What's your answer? And the writer of Hebrews says the answer is Jesus. And it's, it blows you away that the creator of the universe decides to enter into his creation. And you and I, we've made a mess of it, right? We, we haven't really lived for the glory of God. Jesus perfectly lived for the glory of God. He lived the perfect life that we could not live, and then he died the death that we all deserve to die. He tasted death for all of us. Folks, the fulfillment of Psalm 8 is not you. The fulfillment of Psalm 8 is Jesus Christ. You look around this world, we see disorder. In Jesus Christ, you find restoration. In this world, we see problems, but in Christ, we can find paradise. In this world, it's like we've messed up the creation of God. In Jesus Christ, we find a new creation in Christ. You see, here's the deal. Think of this. The Bible says in Isaiah that God measured the universe in the palm of his hand. And Jesus Christ gave his hand to that Roman soldier to nail on the cross. And it was through Jesus' death and then resurrection that now gives us life so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord can actually be saved and restored from all the messes that we have. Listen, when you look at the, the night sky and all the stars, it should bring you to a place of wonder and awe and worship, right? But listen, whenever you look at the cross, it should also bring you to a place of awe and wonder and worship and surrender to him. In fact, jot down this final point. The power of God is amazing. But the love of God is transforming. Would you agree with that? The power of God is amazing, but the love of God is transforming. Creation astounds us, but the cross transforms us. Now, it may be funny for us to see somebody standing in front of Mount Rushmore and not see a designer. And it may be um, irrational for people to look at creation and not see a creator. But folks, it is a galactic mistake to stand in front of the cross and not see a savior. Jesus Christ, he's made the way for us. And so the psalm begins with this phrase, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. And then the psalm ends with that same phrase, but I believe this time he's not just thinking about creation, he's thinking about salvation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Whenever you see the glory of creation, and then you see the glory of the cross, then you can sing a song of glory. I hope that you can sing that song. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, 
I'm so thankful for your amazing creation that were made in your image. But God, I'm more amazed in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. God, may that reality and truth of Christ transform our hearts today. Help us to respond in true surrender and awe and worship. God, we want to respond to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.